Well, if we could, uh, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling this morning, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read. The Gospel according to John, John chapter 3. John 3, and if we read again at verse 4. Or verse 3, we'll say. John 3 at verse 3. Jesus answered him, that is Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You must be born again. Do you know, everyone loves to see babies and toddlers and children. It's lovely to see them at all these different ages and stages as they look and learn about the world around them. And I think I would speak on behalf of everyone in our congregation when I say that everyone in our congregation, they love, they love to see children in church. And the thing is, no one cares about the noise. No one cares about the crying. And no one cares about talking in church either. It doesn't put anyone off. It doesn't put me off. I think it's absolutely great uh, to see everyone in church, not only this morning, but every week. Because children, the thing about children is that they are as important in this congregation as the elders are. Children have a, a huge place in our congregation and every other congregation. And, you know, as a congregation living in the 21st century, we should be so thankful to the Lord for the number of babies we have uh, this morning, but also on the toddlers in the creche, but also the children who are in our Sunday school. It's not something we should take for granted. It's something we should cherish as a congregation, something we should nurture, something we should earnestly pray over as a congregation. Because the thing is, church isn't just for adults. Church isn't just for old people. Church is for everyone. Church is for the whosoever churches for the young, the middle-aged, and the elderly. In fact, the biblical pattern and perspective of church is that it's meant to be a family gathering, just like we have families gathering this morning. Because whenever you have a family gathering, you have children, you have parents, and you also have grandparents. It's a family gathering. You have young, middle-aged, and elderly. And that's because the church is a family gathering where we worship. We gather together uh, to worship the Lord. But this morning, as we gather for worship, we're witnessing something special and also something solemn. We're witnessing something special and yet something solemn. It's special because we're witnessing and watching six children being baptized in our congregation, which is so lovely to see. I think it it just fills us with such excitement to see six children being baptized. It's something special, but it's also something solemn. Because vows are being promised in the presence of God and before you as a congregation. But you know, what I'd like us to see this morning is that the sacrament of baptism, the symbol of sprinkling water, which is what we're doing, I want us to see that it's a symbol which preaches and proclaims 
a message. And it's a message that we are all watching and witnessing this morning. None of us are going to miss it. We're all watching and witnessing this message. And the message to us as a church family this morning is the same message that Jesus explained and exhorted to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be born again. And so I'd like us just to consider this passage that we read under three headings, the meeting, the misunderstanding, and the message. The meeting, the misunderstanding, and the message. So first of all, the meeting. We see that in verses 1 to 3. We're told that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the Gospel of John is perhaps the most well-known. It's most well-known for verse 16 that we read earlier. And what it says in John 3, 16, it's that verse which is known the world over and has often been described as uh, the Gospel in miniature. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But you know, that wonderful verse, it came at the end of this nighttime meeting with this man called Nicodemus. And from the outset of chapter 3, we're given this description of Nicodemus, and we're told also of the condition of his soul, because we're told that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he lived by the strictest possible rules of his religion. Because Pharisees, they were obsessed with the law of God. They lived strict and upright lives. But, you know, more often than not, Pharisees, their hearts were far from God. And their lives were just a show and a spectacle before other people. The Pharisees were what you would call hypocrites. Because they had this facade of religion where they wanted to be seen by others. For example, when Pharisees gave money at the temple, they sounded a trumpet. When they prayed, they would pray on the street corner so that everyone would see them and hear them. And when they fasted, they put on a gloomy face so that everyone would know that they were fasting. And so for the Pharisees, their religion was always a show and a spectacle. It was all about outward appearances and being seen by others. But none of it pleased God. None of it pleased God. Jesus later said about the Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And you know, that's one of the great dangers of religion, that we do things just to be seen by others, that we come to church, do the right thing, say the right thing, just to, to keep up appearances. But we're not to pay lip service to Jesus because Jesus knows us. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts, even this morning. He knows the condition of our soul. And so, Jesus knows when we are not genuine and wholehearted in our commitment to Him. Jesus knows when we honor Him with our lips, but our heart is far from Him. But, you know, we also read that Jesus, He wasn't just a… Nicodemus, He wasn't just a Pharisee. Nicodemus was also a ruler of the Jews. He was a teacher in Israel, we're told. He was a professor of theology. 
Nicodemus was someone who knew and taught the Scriptures of the Old Testament. He wasn't ignorant of his Bible. And yet, when he came to Jesus, Nicodemus was seeking the truth. But what Nicodemus was going to discover was that there's a radical difference between knowing the Bible in your head and knowing the Bible in your heart. Just like there's a radical difference between knowing Jesus in your head and knowing Jesus in your heart. Because, my friend, the Bible calls you to love Jesus with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. The Bible calls you to know Jesus not only in your head, but also in your heart. But there's one more thing we're told about Nicodemus when he came to meet Jesus, and it's that he came to Jesus by night. He came to Jesus by night. Now, with this John, the gospel writer, he's more than telling us the hour of the day or of the night that this meeting with Jesus took place. John is telling us that there's another kind of darkness, a spiritual darkness covering the soul of Nicodemus. Because when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he was walking in darkness, but he was being drawn towards Jesus, who, as we said to the children, was the light of the world. And you know my unconverted friend here this morning, or at home, you know my unconverted friend, like you, after all that you have, maybe like Nicodemus, after all that you've heard and read and maybe learned or done in your life, Nicodemus knew that there was still something missing in his life. He knew that he was still walking in darkness. He knew before Jesus that he still wasn't right with God. He knew that he still wasn't saved. But you know, the best decision that Nicodemus ever made was when he came to Jesus. And in many ways, the best decision you'll ever make is when you come to Jesus. But Nicodemus, he came to Jesus by night, and he came under the cover of darkness because he didn't want anyone else to know what was going on in his heart and soul. Because seeking Jesus was private. It was personal to him. Nicodemus didn't want anyone to know that he was being drawn to Jesus. He didn't want anyone to know he was interested in the gospel. And maybe you're the same this morning. Maybe you have an interest in the gospel. Maybe you're just like Nicodemus, drawn to Jesus, interested in this Jesus, who is the light of the world. Maybe you're being drawn to Jesus in your heart, but you don't want anyone to know about it. You don't want even the person beside you to know about it. You don't want anybody to know because for you it's private, it's personal. And I want to say to you this morning, my friend, if, if you are being drawn to Jesus, you're meeting with Jesus in the gospel this morning, Jesus is reminding you, just like he reminded Nicodemus, because Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But you know, maybe for you, just like Nicodemus, what Jesus is saying here doesn't really make much sense to you. Because the need to be born again, it's met with a misunderstanding, which is what I want us to consider secondly. So there's the misunderstanding. There's first of all the meeting, but then there's the misunderstanding. That's what we see secondly. Look at verse 3. 
Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You know, when this meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus, when it took place, Nicodemus didn't even have to ask Jesus a question because Jesus knew what was going on in his heart and soul. That's why uh, verse 3, it begins uh, with the statement, Jesus answered Nicodemus. Jesus answered Nicodemus. The thing is, Nicodemus, he hadn't asked Jesus a question, and yet Jesus answered Nicodemus because Jesus knew everything about this man. Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew what was going on, just like he knows what's going on in our heart this morning. But when Jesus answered Nicodemus, he said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When Nicodemus heard that, he was completely baffled. And we can see his misunderstanding from the question he asks in verse 4. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, Nicodemus, he's not been flippant or facetious in his reply. No, he's genuinely confused. He's completely baffled. He can't understand what Jesus is saying. And he says to Jesus, what do you mean I need to be born again? How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? How does that make sense? How is that possible? What do you mean I need to be born again? And so Jesus, he corrects the misunderstanding by explaining that being born again is not about physical birth. It's about spiritual birth. And what Jesus makes clear to Nicodemus and to us this morning is that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Therefore, we cannot enter the kingdom of God by our physical birth. In fact, it's our physical birth that keeps us out of the kingdom of God. Because the Bible asserts and affirms to us time and time again that we were conceived in guiltiness and sin. We were born in sin. We were born sinners. And you know, you know, as we look at these beautiful babies and toddlers and children, you know, we find it hard to think that they're sinners and they're sinful. But if you're a parent, you'll know that as these children grow up, it doesn't take long for us to realize that we don't need to teach our children to do wrong. We don't need to teach them to fight. They do that themselves. We don't need to teach them to lie to us. They do that themselves. We don't need to teach them to speak back to us. They do that themselves. Or even to get angry. They get angry with us all the time. Well, in our house, that's what happens. Because they do it naturally, just like we do. We sin naturally because... When Adam fell from that perfect estate wherein he was created, we all sinned in him, says the catechism. We all sinned in him and fell in him with, in his first transgression, which means that we're all conceived in guiltiness and sin. We're all born in sin. We're all born sinners. And the wages of sin, as Romans 6 says, is death. So, my friend, our physical birth, it keeps us out of the kingdom of God doesn't matter about our Christian upbringing. doesn't matter about our Bible knowledge. doesn't matter that we went to Sunday school as a child or we have attended church every Sunday. 
all our life. It doesn't matter about these things, because the only way to enter into the kingdom of God is by a new birth. That's why we need to listen to what Jesus is saying to us this morning. And my friend, I hope you're listening to what Jesus is saying to you this morning, because Jesus is saying to you, you must. You must. It's a must of necessity. You must be born again. You must be born again. But you know, when Nicodemus hears this for the second time, he still doesn't understand. He's still confused. He's still as baffled. He's no clearer in his understanding. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus explains that you need water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God, he's not saying that you need baptism and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Because as we've said many times before at baptism services, baptism has no saving powers whatsoever. Baptism is not a safety feature for heaven. It doesn't guarantee a child's salvation. It doesn't even make them more special than a child who's not baptized, because we know the thief on the cross was not baptized. And so, just to be clear, the water we're using for baptism this morning, it's not holy water. It's not mystical or magical in any way. It's just ordinary water straight out of the tap. But even though the water is not special, the point is it is a symbol. It's symbolic. Because the water at baptism, it's a symbol that we need to be cleansed from sin and made alive by the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol that we need our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. It's a symbol that we need a new birth, and we need a new beginning, and we need to be given a new heart, and we need to become a new creation. My friend, the water that we're going to witness and watch at a baptism this morning, it's a symbol, it's a message to all of us. You must be born again. You must be born again. And you know, as we watch and witness these six children being baptized, we're being reminded and reaffirmed that when each child has been baptized, when Shoris and Eva and Callum and, and Alice and Joshua James and Angus, when they're all baptized, we are being reminded that these children, they need to be born again too. They've had a physical birth, but they also need a spiritual birth. They need a new birth. They need to be cleansed from sin and made alive by the Holy Spirit. And you know, my unconverted friend, whether you were baptized as a child or not, as you watch and witness a baptism this morning, you're being reminded and reaffirmed, you must be born again. You must be born again. And maybe you're asking this morning, well, Murdo, how? How am I going to be born again? How am I cleansed from sin? How am I going to be, as you say, made alive by the Holy Spirit? How am I going to be given a new heart? How am I going to be saved? How do I enter what Jesus talks about, this kingdom, the kingdom of God? And you know, it was Jesus who said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, 
shall not enter it. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not enter it. Now, when Jesus says that you have to become like children in order to be saved, he doesn't mean that you have to be naive. But he does say, or he does mean, that you need to be dependent. We need to be dependent. We need to let go of self and our self-will and our self-reliance and our self-righteousness. We need to depend wholly upon Jesus for salvation. You know, as we watch and witness these children being baptized this morning, they're preaching and proclaiming a message to us all. They're preaching and proclaiming a message because we're not only being reminded that we must be born again, we're also being reminded that like little children, we must completely depend upon Jesus for salvation. Because as you know, the thing about little children, the thing about all these babies that are here this morning is that they're completely dependent. They're dependent upon someone else doing everything for them. They're dependent upon Martin and, and Darren and Ali and Scott and CJ and, and also uh, Marion and all these diff- different parents. They're all, de- they all have to look after these children. They're dependent upon them because, well, the children, they can't pay for their food. They can't prepare the meals themselves. They can't even feed themselves. They can't buy their clothes. They can't wash themselves. They can't dress themselves. They're completely dependent. That's why we call them dependents. They can't do anything for themselves except throw their arms wide open and cry for help. And, you know, that's what Jesus says. That's what we need to realize, that we can only be born again. We can only be saved. We can only enter the kingdom of God when we come to Jesus completely depending upon His finished work on the cross. My friend, you need to let go of self and self-righteousness, and self-will, and self-reliance. We need to let go of self and just throw our arms wide open and ask Jesus for mercy. My friend, the Bible is saying to you this morning, you must, you must, you must be born again. And so we've considered the meeting and the misunderstanding, but lastly, the message. The meeting, the misunderstanding, and the message. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? You know, after all that Jesus had said and taught, Nicodemus still didn't get it. He's still not understanding. He might have been a teacher in Israel and a professor of theology. He may have been a very religious man who knew his Bible inside out. But when Nicodemus met Jesus, he completely misunderstood the message of the gospel. Because the message of the gospel is that you must be born again by depending upon Jesus Christ for salvation. You must be born again by depending upon Jesus Christ for salvation. You need to become like a little child and humbly and wholeheartedly come to this Jesus and commit your life to Him and confess Him as your Lord and Savior. 
know, that's the message we're going to be watching and witnessing this morning in the sacrament of baptism. The message that these children are preaching and proclaiming to you is that you must be born again by depending upon Jesus Christ for salvation. In fact, that's why all these parents are bringing their children for baptism. Their desire is that their child will be born again and depend upon Jesus Christ for salvation. Their desire as parents is that their child will grow up in this congregation under the Word of God. Their desire is that their child will be part of this church family where they're loved and taught and nurtured in creche and Sunday school and youth fellowship. And, you know, as a congregation, as a congregation, we have a responsibility to not only these children, but all our children, that, that we pray for them. That is our responsibility. And we need to take it seriously. We're to pray that they'll be born again, that they'll learn to depend upon Jesus Christ for salvation. We have a responsibility, even as these parents take their vows, that we will encourage them and enable them to fulfill their vows. Because the vows are serious. They're solemn. They're before God. That's why we call a baptism a sacrament. It's the sacrament of baptism. The word sacrament comes from Latin, meaning sacramentum, or solemn oath. There are only two sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And in the sacrament of baptism, parents are making a solemn oath before God to bring up their children in the visible church, to teach and train their children at home, to live in submission to Jesus Christ, His Word, and also His church. And you know, in a day and generation where society is teaching our children to express themselves in all different kinds of ways, you know, the home has become an important training ground where we need to teach and train our children the Word of God and the way of God and the worship of God. We need to teach and train our children what it is to be born again and what it means to depend upon Jesus Christ for salvation. We need to teach and train our children what it is to be a Christian. We need to teach and train our children what it is to be a Christian. But as you know, the best way to teach and train your children to be a Christian is to be a living example to them. The best way to teach and train our children, the next generation, the best way to teach them to be a Christian is to be a living example. And my friend, when I say this, I speak to you not just as a minister standing in a pulpit, I speak to you as a parent. I speak to you as a parent because I know it's not easy to be a parent. I know it's not easy to bring up children in a world where there are so many voices calling out for their soul. I know it's not easy to always get them to church and to Sunday school. It's far easier to keep them at home. But, the, you know, the best way to teach and train our children what it means to be born again and what it means to depend upon Jesus Christ for salvation, the best way is to be a living example for them. You know, our example of reading the Bible with them, our example of praying with them and talking to them about Jesus and going to church with them morning and evening if possible, 
but also living a consistently Christ-centered life before their eyes. And I know as a parent that is not easy. Because, you know, but our children's greatest need, their greatest need, our greatest need is to be born again and to depend upon Jesus Christ for salvation. Their greatest need from us as children, little children, is to teach and train them to love Jesus and follow Jesus and serve Jesus in their life. Their greatest need, my friend, your greatest need, is to know John 3.16, that God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son, and that whosoever, whosoever, young, middle-aged, or elderly, whosoever believes in him, will not perish but have eternal life. And you know, as a church family gathering this morning, what we learn from this meeting, this misunderstanding, this message from Jesus, and also what we're going to watch and witness in the symbol of baptism, is that you must be born again. You must be born again by depending upon Jesus Christ for salvation. You must, says Jesus, you must be born again. Well, may the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Now let us pray together. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to Thee for the gospel, that it is good news to sinners such as we are, and that this good news is to be proclaimed and preached to the youngest right up until the eldest. And Lord, we give thanks that it is a wonderful message, a message for sinners who live broken lives in a broken world. But Lord, we give thanks that this message is also for children, and help us to teach it to our children. Help us to train our children to follow Jesus. But Lord, help us, we pray, to be living examples, that we would be, in in a way, a Bible to our own children, that they would look at us and see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Bless us as homes and as families. Lord, that thou wouldst speak to us, and that even today Christ would have the preeminence, that God would have the glory, and that we as thy people would receive blessing. Go before us, then we pray. Take away our iniquity. Receive us graciously, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're now going to sing uh, the words of Psalm 23. Psalm 23 in the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 229, if you're using the, the blue psalm book. Psalm 23. A psalm that may be familiar to you. It's one thing knowing Psalm 23. It's one thing knowing the shepherd of Psalm 23. We have to know the shepherd of Psalm 23. We have to be able to confess with David, The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie. In pastures green he leadeth me. The quiet waters by. And as uh, we sing, hopefully the parents will all come back through and the children uh, from Sunday school. So the Lord's my shepherd. We'll sing the whole of Psalm 23 and we'll stand to sing if we're able to God's praise. <laughs> 